Welcome to Glasgow Evangelicals Podcast. Thanks for listening with us today. Our hope is that today's sermon equips you to live the gospel joyously. Come along with us as we learn to live the gospel together. But I, through the abundance of your steadfast love, will enter your house. I will bow down towards your holy people in the fear of you. Lead me, O Lord, in your righteousness because of my enemies. Make your way straight before me. Uh, This morning, just like any other morning, uh, we are here not gathered so that we can uh, check off a box for the week, but we're gathered here today to lift up God, to glorify Him, and and to uh, rejoin in community so we can fuel up and be ready to uh, share God with Glasgow as we go throughout our week. And so that is how the morning is going to start. Uh, today's sermon title is called Camping is Intense, um, and uh, for more ways than one. But uh, I, I want to actually kind of go uh, before that uh, a little bit is before you can even camp, you have to know where you're going, right? Have you, have you ever been lost in your life? Have you ever, like, and I'm not talking about losses in terms of like that spiritual, like, eh, I'm lost. No, I'm talking about legit, like, I don't know where I'm at and I'm in trouble. Like the, the amount of like worry that like builds up inside of you. I was lost twice in one day and it was at a friend of mine's wedding down in Houston, well, uh, down in Texas, uh, Jory Rawls wedding. I was supposed to meet them at this bagel shop. And so uh, that morning I got out of uh, the hotel and I started driving. I, I um, didn't want to pay for data at this point. And so um, I didn't have a phone that had a GPS and I didn't have any other GPS. So what I had done was is I went to MapQuest, right? And I, yes, I still use MapQuest, all right? So um, I went there and I downloaded the whole directions, right? And so I had this map. And I got out of uh, the hotel parking lot and I started following this map. The problem was, is that I didn't know whether to turn the map this way or that way. Like, right? Like when you have GPS, it just tells you, oh, you're going north now, right? And so like I'm looking, you have to be able to read a map to be able to know where you're going. And I don't know how to read a map, obviously. And so like I was like 30 minutes late to this coffee shop meeting that I was supposed to have. And I kept on like calling Jory, like, hey, where am I at? Blah, blah, blah. And, And he's like, oh, you went too far. And I had to go around. And so like at this point, I am, I am upset, Right? Like, I am just absolutely upset. And I get done with that and I go back to the hotel for some reason. I was really easy to get back to the hotel. Um, but, uh, and then we had to go to the chapel, right, for the wedding rehearsal. And, uh, and I, once again, map quested where I was going, needing all that sort of stuff. And I did one wrong turn. And now all of a sudden I'm on this interstate going in the opposite direction and I can't figure out where the next exit is to go around, to go back, to start all over again, to go where I'm at. And I, I at this point, my wife was like, it's okay, we'll figure it out. I, at this point, became the irrational Seth runner and started punching the steering wheel, right? Like, ah, I can't believe I go the wrong way, right? Like, I am stressed to the max. And my wife is like, do you want me to drive? And I'm like, no, I have this. And now she just drives every time we're in a big city. But anyway, uh, I think about being lost. You know, uh, one of my favorite movies Quigley Down Under, there's an amazing scene 
where uh, they're walking through the desert and they have no clue where they're going. And, and this woman is with Tom Selleck. Tom Selleck is amazing, by the way. Um, and so she's like, are, are we lost? Just tell me. Just tell it to me straight. Are we lost? And he's like, nope. No, you have to tell me. Are we lost? Just please be honest with me. Are we lost? And he says, nope. We're not lost. Don't know where we're going, so there's no use being late. Right? Like... There's this idea of what if, what if it wasn't actually being lost? What if it was, in this point, if we didn't really know where we're going? We just knew that we had to leave and go somewhere. Tell me what kind of stress that you would have. Tell me what sort of intense moments you would have by going, we left everything behind us to go somewhere where we have no clue where we're going. We just got in the car and went. How many arguments would you have in your marriage five miles out because one of you is such a planner you need to know where you're going because you don't want to waste gas right or how many of you are going well I didn't know where we're going so I didn't know what to pack right maybe we're going to a hotel so I should pack a swimming suit I don't I mean all these different things and we get in these arguments can you imagine if somebody came to you and told you you need to leave absolutely everything you know and go somewhere where you have no clue where it's going to be, but trust me, it's going to be okay. How many of you would flip out within the first day and go, I want to go back home? We have kids that go to camp every single week, right? They even know where they're going. They go to camp and they get homesick and they're like, I want to go back home. And yet, the person we're going to read about today, the couple we're going to read about today, um, did just that. And so I want to read with you uh, Abraham and Sarah's story in Hebrews 11, starting with verse 8, and we're going to go through verse 16. If you don't have your Bibles, it'll be up on the screen beside us. Here we go. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. He wasn't even lost. By faith he went to live in the land of promise, as in a foreign land, living in tents. Do you get it? Intense and intense. All right, I hope you got that. With Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. By faith, Sarah herself received power to conceive even when she was past the age since, he considered her, since she considered him faithful who had promised. Therefore, from one man and him as good as dead, that's a great one, we'll get back to it, were both descendants as many as the stars of heaven and as many as the innumerable grains of sand by the seashore. These all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar, and, no, and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. For people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. If they had been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, they would have had opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country that is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. 
Let's pray. God, as we open up your word this morning, would we realize that, hey, we don't have to be lost anymore because now some of us are lost spiritually, physically, mentally. And you're the only one that gives direction and you're the one that puts things in this word to help us to relate to you, help us to have you as our guide, to help us move forward. And so God, wherever we are at in our hearts right now, would you speak to us and would you, um, would you rekindle a faith in you if we've lost a little bit of it? Lord, would you, um, would you help us to understand what's going on around us so that we can make the right decisions to move forward? And maybe, Lord, if you're asking us to, to move when we don't want to, when it's not comfortable for us, would we listen to your voice and would we follow and obey you? In your holy name we pray, amen. So last week we went through a couple uh, of people that, uh, uh, a couple men that had faith before Abraham and Sarah. We went through a person by the name of Abel and then we looked at Enoch and we looked at Noah. Something that's interesting about those three before Abraham is this, is that they didn't really have a specific promise from God, right? They weren't going to be a big nation. They just had faith in God. And then comes Abraham. And so this is all pre-Israel. The rest of scripture that we uh, get to look at in the history of Israel, this is when the, the nation of Israel starts at this promise. And so if you guys are kind of reading along as we go through um, these people, uh, there's a note in your bulletin that says Genesis 11 through 25. If you read that this week, uh, you will be seeing the whole entire life of Abraham and Sarah and the promise that Abraham was given. But then all the way in Hebrews, we have the author saying to us, you need to recognize these people. You need to see what's going on, why their faith was doing anything. Last week was faith in action, and it's still continue on, continuing on in faith in action. If you've ever been camping for more than a weekend, you know that it's not an easy thing to do. Unless you go glamping, then it's a pretty easy thing to do. When you have a trailer and you have your TV. I, was watch, I, I walked by this trailer the other day and I saw this guy watching a movie in his RV. And I was like, and later on I asked him, I said, how big is that TV in there? It was 48 inches. That's unbelievable. Anyway, <laughs> I digress. But I, I look at this and I, and I go, I, I don't know if you realize what's happening here. And so I want to dive into what faith in action through Sarah and Abraham look like. What it looks like to be camping in tents. So uh, I'm going to reread Abraham's part in this whole entire thing. And it's verses 8 through 10. And we're just going to go through it slowly and, and talk about it, different things and, and try to understand what's really going on. And so 8 through 10, by faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called out to go to a place he was to receive as an inheritance. 
Okay, so if we look back at the very, at some of the other stuff in Abraham's life, Abraham is doing just fine, right? In fact, actually, um, he's in a city, he's got everything taken care of, uh, he's doing well for himself, and yet God sits there and comes to him and says, hey, I want to, I'm finding favor on you, and I want to make you a great nation. And he even says that uh, if you leave, I'm going to show you this promised land and you are going to be such a great nation that, uh, man, the whole world will be saved through your lineage. The whole world will be saved. And do you know what Abraham does? Anytime you see this little um, thing and there's a period and a sentence in the Bible and it says, and he went out, it's almost as if Abraham went right away. He didn't say, hey, God, wait, wait for me to put stuff together and figure this out. No, it says, and Abraham went, not knowing where he was going, not having a clue about what was going to happen, not, uh, not understanding. Man, this, you have to realize that at this time, they're completely safe, completely healthy. Everything is going fine to leave your people to leave the comfort of your family means that you're opening yourselves up to every sort of danger that could be out there. Every sort of uh, marauders that come and just want to steal stuff from absolutely saying, hey, everything you have is now ours. We're killing you and we're going to take it. And so there are stories later on where um, Abraham is so worried about his wife that he actually gets her to say other different stories about what's going on just so they can be safe, which is a little bit of a question of whether he does believe in God, but we're, we're not going there because it says by faith, Abraham obeyed. By faith, Abraham obeyed these things. He went out into a land that was promised as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob heirs with him of the same promise. Let's just stop there for a second. Have you ever been to a foreign country and tried to do something or try to order something and it's just not the norm of what's going on? I remember when I was in Germany with Jesse and Doris and we went to this hardware store and Jesse said, hey, just to let you know, things are a bit different where we live than where you live. When you go into a hardware store and you see something you like, you just don't pick it up and start looking at it and reading the box. You actually ask the owner of the place because it's his property, whether you can pick up and touch it and, and you allow him to do that. And so when we were in this hardware store, it was just that. You kind of stood at these things and you waited for the owner to come up to you and you were like, hey, can I, can I look at this thing? And he's like, sure, I'll let you look at it. And, and I think to myself going, that is a completely foreign thing to me. Completely, I don't understand what's really going on. I don't know the cultural norms of Germany. And man, I'd probably do something to mess something up. This is essentially what Abraham is doing. He's going and being a foreigner for the unforeseeable future in his life. He remains what he calls an alien. He is somebody who isn't welcome everywhere. He is an outsider. 
He's not a full citizen of anything. He doesn't get to be able to say, well, doggone it, I'm an American and this is what the rights I get to have. No, he has no rights. He is a perpetual outsider. He never fits in. In fact, actually, we see tons of stories where he gets to kind of go to this new place and he camps out and he does really super well, but then the people kind of get afraid of him because they see that God is blessing him and they say, get out, leave. We don't want you here anymore. You're disrupting things. And so, because he has no home, he has to pack up everything and go somewhere else. It's a beautiful picture, I think, of him understanding that this part of where he's at isn't his home. He's in a perpetual state of going, no, I'm looking for something better. I mean, he's even to the point of actually uh, going into all these places and he cares so much about where he's going that he does get involved. He gets involved in political aspects and trying to um, actually live for justice and, and making sure that everything is okay. But he's still an outsider. He is completely different than the rest of the world. And then in verse 10, it says this, the whole entire time as he's being an outsider, for he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. And so if you're taking notes this morning, here's the deal. By faith, Abraham believed and obeyed God, left his home to live in tents as a stranger, looking towards the promised land. I think that this piece of uh, verse 10, I, I absolutely love because he says, for he was looking forward to a city that has foundations. He wasn't looking for a place in which he gets to build everything that he wants to build, right? Like it's not this plot of land where God says, well, take this now and now do everything you possibly can to make it the most beautiful city you can. It is no, is he is looking forward to a city that's already built, a place that has foundations. Because in the whole entire time that he had been a sojourner, he's already seen things that make him uneasy, that make him sit there and go, man, this does not put me at ease. The world around us is dark. And that's when he begins the process of desiring to see what God is accomplishing in the world around him. And he's looking for a city with foundations that are built by God and designed by God. Because you can live anywhere when it's, when it's a place where God is and a place where God is ruling. And there is something interesting about a city, right? Like there's, there's a couple things. Is, is first is that the city is a place where God is. And secondly, that is not a cabin in the mountains where you get to just be with God by yourself. It's not a tree stand where you get to sit every single 
every single day looking for the next big buck to shoot. It's actually lived with other believers. Not that cabins are bad, that's not what I'm saying, and not that tree stands aren't a gorgeous place to be, but life is to be lived in a city where God is the ruler and with other people. Because you see, when that happens for Abraham, there's no more camping. He gets to put up a tent or a place that is always a building where he always comes back to, where there is no more dis-ease about anything or disease where there's no more alienation, where he's not an outsider, but he's absolutely accepted and said, hey, would you grow here? Would you absolutely allow God to be a part of you? And I think about this come to the table song, and I'm like, this is what the city of God is about, that you understand that I'm not going to be alienated anymore, that I'm not an outsider and that there's no more pilgrimage in this city, that there's no more looking for other things to fulfill me, no more other things to have to do because everything for me is right here. I don't know if you understand this, but this looks a lot like heaven. This is a beautiful picture of that. But guess what? Abraham doesn't get to the promised land. He doesn't get to build a big city. In fact, for the rest of his life, he stays in a tent. And then we have his wife that comes with him the whole entire time. And if you read the story, before Abraham even leaves to go and listen to God, Sarah is barren. She has no children. She can't bear a child. And so <laughs> this is even amazing faith. That God says, hey, Abraham, if you would leave and go to this city, I'm going to make you a great nation. And your wife has something to do with that too. And so we're going to pick up in verse 11. And it says, by faith, Sarah herself received power to conceive even when she was past the age, since she considered him faithful who had promised. Really quick side note, Genesis 17, six through, 16 through 17 says this. It says, I will bless her, speaking of Sarah, I will bless her and moreover, I will give you a son by her. I will bless her and she shall become nations. Kings of people shall come from her. Then Abraham fell on his face and laughed and said to himself, Shall I, oh, shall a child be born to a man who is a hundred years old? Shall Sarah, who is 90 years old, bear a child? Now, I just want to let you know, last week I talked about um, some of these people of the patriarchs being old. Methuselah, 969 years, right? Enoch lived 365 years and is still living because he never died. But we look at that and then we come to Noah and there's a flood. And after the flood, God says, I am going to keep the age of human beings 120 years old. And so people have been dying younger and younger. And now... Abraham is 100 years old, and Sarah is 90. Any 90, I don't want you to raise your hand because I'm not going to call you out, but any 90-year-old women in here, picture this, bearing a child at 90, 
And God is saying, you need to, you're going to do this. And she accepts it by faith. She desires it by faith. Because here's the deal, that this verse right here suggests that she trusted God and, God, and she knew that God was faithful to his promise. We see her consistently in Genesis praying about having a child. But this is what I find interesting is that she is not praying because she desperately wants a child. That's actually not why she's praying. She's praying because she wanted to be in line with Abraham and the promise of God. She wanted to support her husband in the process of God moving them into the promised land. Because it was just like if Abraham was going to be the father of great nations, she was going to be the mother of great nations. And so if you're taking notes with me this morning, by faith Sarah believed God's promise of a child even when it went against all human reasoning. This is what I find interesting <clears throat> in this piece of scripture. Since she considered him faithful who had promised, God was faithful. She considered him faithful. Therefore, from one man and him as good as dead. I love that. This guy is saying from Abraham and he's about dead, y'all. He's about dead and God still finishes his promise. were born descendants as many of the stars of heaven, as many as the innumerable grains of sand by the seashore. What sort of faith do you think that is? I came across Kent Hughes, his author. He says this. He says, how did Abraham come to such a huge faith? It's because he weighed the human impossibility of becoming a father against the impossibility of God breaking his promise. Let me read that for you one more time. He weighed the human possibility of becoming a father against the impossibility of God breaking his promise. And we sometimes have the audacity to ask God why or to tell God that he did wrong. But for all, anything is, anything is possible with God. Anything is possible with God. Even when it goes against all reasoning. And so great, awesome, Seth, where does that leave us this morning? Uh, uh, God hasn't come and talked to me about leaving my home. And I... Definitely not having a child at 90 because God hasn't called me to do that yet. It leaves us with this, is to realize that these people, these, this patriarch and this matriarch of the lineage of Christ to come and to bring redemption and to start the process of seeing God anew is actually a parallel for us this morning. In 13 through 16, it says this, These all died in faith. Abel, Enoch, Noah, Sarah, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. They all died 
in the faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar because they already know that God doesn't break his promise and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on this earth, they already understood that they were sojourners. They were foreigners no matter what was going on in their lives. They were to be completely different from the rest of the world. They had dis-ease over what was going on. For people who speak Thus, make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. Here's the kicker. If they had been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, they would have had the opportunity to return. This is really important in the turning of this piece of scripture right here. If Abraham and Sarah and Jacob and Isaac didn't believe what was going on, didn't have faith, didn't want to obey God, they would have just turned around and done the easy thing and gone back home. We see that constantly in, in the scriptures, right? That it says, like a dog returns to his vomit, so a man returns to his sin. Like if we aren't looking towards the future promised land, if we aren't looking towards the promises of God, we will always return to what's easiest. We will always return to our sinful, selfish nature. But as it is, they had opportunity to return. Sorry, but as it is, they desire a better country that is, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. He's already saying this to us, is that he's already prepared for them a city. He's already prepared a kingdom, which just made me think this morning, and I didn't, I, I actually, while I was sitting here worshiping, these were the things that I thought in my mind. And it's not up on your screen. And so Matthew chapter 13 comes to these all amazing things of the kingdom of heaven is like. Verse 46 the king, uh, in Matthew 13, the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field which a man found and covered up. Then it, in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. He gives up everything for this one thing. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls who on finding one pearl of great value went and sold all that he had and bought it. This is a city made by God. And I wonder if this piece of scripture is really telling us, are you willing to have the faith? Are you willing to step out and obey all the things that Jesus has commanded us? And I'm telling you, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John is full of them. Full of promises like, hey, you're going to have troubles. Uh, full of promises as, hey, that's okay. I will be with you always. Asking us to go and make fishers of men. Going and seeing that we are a city on a hill. And a light can't be hidden. In fact, yesterday, I'm going to be completely honest with you. Yesterday, I had the hardest time wearing that t-shirt, Make Jesus Famous. And it was pretty darn clear that I was having a hard time with it. Because in one instance, I wanted to be the biggest jerk I could possibly be and win at any cost. I am super competitive, right? 
Logan Darlington just moved here and he doesn't know me very well and he's like, hey man, you competitive, huh? Right? Like, wow, you're really competitive. But I couldn't sit still. I kept on pacing. And then I was just like, wait a second. I have this t-shirt that says, make Jesus famous. (laughs) Guess I have to be really nice. And then God was like, really? That's what I'm about is just being nice, huh? And I started thinking about the parallels of why would I want Jesus to be famous? Of course, even whether I'm wearing that t-shirt or not, I should be making Jesus famous. A person came up to me afterwards and, and she said, she said, you know the reason why you won, right? And I said, why? And she goes, because the player on your roster that never played on your t-shirt. And I'm like, oh, now, come on now. Jesus didn't make us win. And then in my mind, I was like, are you sure? Because <laughs> there's no reason why we should have won. <laughs> no reason. Have you seen me run the bases? Um, There's so many parallels to this because I look at it and I go, man, Abraham steps out in faith and says, I want to make God absolutely famous. There is something different about this God that I'm going to walk out and I'm going to show everybody that this God is different. And the ups and the downs. You see, here's the deal. I think that at this very last 13 through 16 verses, it says, after we've walked through them, what we need to get is that by faith we step out in obedience to Christ. And if Noah, you would pull up that next one, that we step out in obedience to Christ, strangers to this world, while we wait for the inheritance Christ has promised. Because there are so many parallels in this that is not even funny. You see, Christ demands that we live differently than the rest of the world. It's not about being anti-cultural, that's not what I'm saying, but it is about being counter-cultural. Abraham was part of life around him, but he never felt like he was at home. Every believer is asked to step out in faith, to Maybe be a little bit weird. Maybe not be like the rest of the world. Because as yesterday, we're playing this kickball game. I would have liked to be able to say, hey, you bunted. You're automatically out. That's against the rules. You can't do that. Or you slid. You're out. Yes. One out. But instead, I was wondering, is there something greater going on here? Because we let her kick again, and we still got her out. We let, well, actually, we told him he was out when he slid. But then I think about all the things maybe we did wrong. And I think to myself going, we might not know exactly where we're going all the time. But I know with Christ we're definitely not lost. And we don't really need to be late or on time for anything. Because when we're with God, it's all in his process. We get to the city when we get there. Some of us sooner, some of us later. We are to live in this world with a bit of disease that something is wrong while we wait for the inheritance. 
we know that God is asking us to live the truths in this scripture. And that's what we do every day. We wake up and say, God, what's in my heart? Just to let you know something that's been deep going on with me lately as I've, as I've been struggling with, ah, man, God, would you help me live daily and make you famous is I'm finding that I'm an incredibly prideful person, incredibly prideful. And it's been hitting me square in the face. And you guys will probably get a little bit of it later on down the road as we're trying to unpack a little bit of that sermon. But I wonder where you're at. I wonder what's going on in your moving towards the promised land, towards the kingdom of heaven. Because Christ asks us to step out. Christ asks us to live completely different lives and to grow and to move. And I want to share one last scripture with you. But before I do, I'm going to um, invite uh, our special music to come up. And they're, they're going to sing an, an amazing uh, song, uh, acapella, I think. And, um, and the song that they're going to sing was about a guy who went through some horrible accidents losing his wife, losing his family, and, and losing a lot of things that he knew. And in the very end, he says, but that's okay. It is well with my soul. And I wonder if we are in this kind of going through life with looking at Sarah and Abraham, how, many, how often they looked at how life wasn't the way that it was supposed to be, and they just said, no, it's okay. We know who God is. We know what he's promised, and we're going to move forward. And I want to share this piece of scripture with you. And I know it's longer and it's going to be up on the side screen. But I, I want to share and give hope because this is what's really going on. That no matter what, it might be hard, but it's still going to be well with our soul no matter where we come. And it says this. In, in Colossians 3, 1 through 17. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ who is your life appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desires, and covetedness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these, you too once walked. He's giving encouragement here. You used to walk in those when you were living in them. But now you must put things away like anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put on the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Here there is no Greek and Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free. But Christ is all and in all. Put on then as God's chosen ones. Here's the deal. This is where it's at right here. If you don't think you've heard from God to move or whatever, if you've accepted Jesus Christ, you are God's chosen one, holy and beloved. Put on then compassionate hearts, kindness, 
humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord had for, has forgiven you, so you must also forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony, and let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of God, would let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing another in all wisdom, singing songs and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Because when that happens, it'll be well with our soul. Uh, Seth mentioned um, a lot of times God will call us and we ask why. And I thought like... I don't know if we ask why. I think when we feel God calling us somewhere, we understand the why. Like, he'll give us an inkling, you know, go on this mission trip or give to this mission trip or help this person or that person. Walk across the office and share this conversation or this God story with somebody or um, walk across the campus or pray for your teacher or, you know, uh, some, some outside of the world things that God will ask us to do. I don't think we question the why. I think we question the how. And I think that's what Sarah and Abraham did as well. How could I possibly have kids at 90? How could I possibly leave my land? And, and I think it's important to understand that God did not say, leave your land, but first sell it all so you have all those profits to go with you. He didn't explain, actually, the how. The how is in the faith. I think we all set up borders. We set up hurdles that we need to overcome before we'll do what God's asking us to do. I'm not smart. I'm not married. I'm not young enough. I'm not prepared. I'm not rich enough. I have too much wealth. The market's not right yet. Nobody's buying houses right now. That's not a place where people want to move. I'm not good at this. I'm not good at that. Your faith will shine through when you take that step and not know how. We as a church family, this is completely contradictory, by the way, to um, good church growth, what I'm going to say next. Um, a good church growing church that's focused on putting seats, more seats, comfortable seats, and more people in those seats, I will not tell you that if God's calling you to leave, leave. But that should be our prayer. No matter how old, no matter how long you've been in this community, no matter how many kids you have, how many kids you don't have, how much savings you have, how prepared you are. If God is asking you to go, we need to go. And, 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 and where we're at in the perspective of all things, if we look at our tiny lives and how little they are on comparison to eternity, God's concern is for eternity. And if he asks you to go, maybe it's one single soul that will be saved because you go. Because you lose everything this world says is important. You lose it all. And you save one priceless soul. It's worth it. If we as a church body can go when God asks, and it may be across the office and it may be across the ocean, if we can go, Oh my goodness. You get that feeling? You get that feeling of 
What if all of us in this room, look around, look around. What if all of us in this room were, were talking to God, were listening to God, and not asking how, but saying, yes, Lord, it is well. Let's go. I can't wait. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for every soul in this room. Lord, may we gain your perspective. Can we step back out of our lives and our discomforts and our personal goals and our worldly attributes? Lord, may we step back from that and try to gain some of your perspective. Lord, it's impossible. We will never gain your infinite knowledge, your infinite wisdom, and your infinite plan. But Lord, may we and we for a moment understand that you are in control. And the only power that you give us is for us to show our faith in our lives so that we may glorify you. Lord, that we can be a part of planting a seed or watering a seed, but Lord, you harvest. Lord, may we all be bold. May we all understand that our soul and other souls is what's important to you ultimately. We love you, Lord. As we work through this week, may we just get closer and closer to you and closer and closer to each other. We love you, Lord. We leave all of this at the most level playing field. There is the foot of the cross, and all God's people said, amen. Thanks for joining us again for another sermon of the GEC podcast. Connect with us at GlasgowEC.com or every Sunday morning at 10 here in Glasgow, Montana. If you enjoyed this podcast, we'd love for you to subscribe, rate, and give a review on iTunes because this helps us share the word with more people. See you next week.